Season 1, Episode 4, Ready Future 1. VR Podcast, your realm for all things immersion tech in education and business. Prepare to be transported. Here are your hosts, Alex, Stephen, Amanda, and James. We live and work in a time where technological advances are moving as fast as the speed of light. As an educator, it is our duty to adapt and evolve at a comparable speed to keep our strategies relevant and engage the current generation of learners. This looks like checking our Twitter feed and notifications for the newest app or strategy, spending our personal time collaborating with colleagues across the world, creating podcasts like this to share insights and ideas, to become better versions of ourselves and fulfill our paths so our students may do the same. Reed Hoffman, a serial entrepreneur and author of The Startup of You, has a podcast episode where he talks about living life in permanent beta. That the you, right now, is the best version of yourself at that moment, and we should continue to be a work in progress, building meaningful networks and learning new skills to increase our value. This couldn't be more true for the 21st century educator. Furthermore, teaching students to navigate digital realms and take part in meaningful collaboration through problem solving is at the heart of modern pedagogy. Technology has become intermingled with the art of teaching and has become the arteries to deliver content, assess learners, and ease some of the load and accountability that weigh on the shoulders of teachers across the world. The internet has made this possible by making the world a little smaller with tools like Skype, G Suites for Education, and social media, allowing us to tackle even the biggest of ideas. And now we have VR. In 1968, Ivan Sutherland created the first VR mounted display headset that attached to a computer. But stereoscopic viewmasters have been around since 1838. Though VR has been around for close to 50 years, watching Ready Player One, set in a futuristic year of 2045, 27 years into the future, one might scoff at the use of headsets, haptic suits, and treadmills, and be dismissive of what could actually be integrated into education now, based on perceived barriers such as cost and access, let alone if the technology actually exists. But I'm here to tell you, the future is now. The world's first complete virtual reality conference, Merging Realities 2018, just occurred and was put on by Mike McCready of Lethbridge College in Alberta, Canada. Its attendees hailed from all over the world, sharing their expert insight into all things VR. The conference was made possible through the virtual reality platform Rumi by Doghead Simulations, where participants transport into a virtual classroom through a headset or computer. They can import 3D models, play media, present slide decks, and collaborate while defying geographic barriers. VR for the people, you can hashtag that. In episode two, 
Do you remember when Stephen asked you to imagine the possibility of constructing new outcomes with artificially intelligent virtual interaction? And then joked that he had made that one up? Well, I found out today that this capability actually does exist from Kathy Hackle, futurist and ARVR content creator, and it's being called Reactive AI. Again, the future is clearly now, and we have to continue to live life in beta, by beta in this newfangled technology in our classrooms, by grabbing VR by the headset and finding ways to provide our students access and involvement beyond Google Expeditions, beyond VR consumption by providing feedback to developers on what these tools should look like so we don't recreate some of the same educational problems in the virtual reality that we have in reality. In reality, our students can be anything. In virtual reality, our students can experience anything. Let's look at how we can not only bring VR experiences to our students with the technology that exists now, but shift them to the role of content creators. Sorry, folks, Amanda is actually on location in Tanzania doing research with the foremost VR developer in the entire world. He's super secret. But he's super yeah. secret. We can't even, we don't even know his name. Don't even know his yeah, name. Her name. Underground bunker. <laughs> so, yep. So, guys, this is the last episode where we're going to even reference Ready Player One specifically. And though it's been out for about a month here, the book was released in, in 2011. And in both, we see various types of technology and equity benefits described inside the Oasis educational system, right? And so the book goes through into much detail, actually, about the construct of the Oasis educational system. And as one might imagine, if you, don't, if you didn't read or listen to the book, Klein describes the ability to travel through the heart, tour the Louvre, uh, visit Jupiter's moon, all sorts of crazy things. But you want to know what's even crazier? All of that is possible today. Today. So, exactly. Let's open up today's discussion on immersive learning by thinking about what technology we saw in Ready Player One and how the construct of the Oasis learning environment might or might not make sense now in the future. Yeah, I, I mean, let's get into it. One thing I want to start with is one of the biggest things that I saw in the movie and the book the book did have this emphasis but, it, emphasis, but it had some other stuff too, was about games, right? Gaming was a big element in the, the whole storyline. And without the gaming, I'm not so sure that the book or the movie would have made much sense or at least be as entertaining. But it's kind of not far off for us to look at what's happening today versus the Oasis. And one of the things that I kind of compared it to were MMOs or multi or massive multiplayer online games. And, you know, the biggest yep. one that we see, like World of Warcraft, those type things that kind of consume people's lives. Have y'all seen The Middle? Do y'all watch The Middle on TV? It's a TV show? I, I have not seen it. Oh, call me out. Oh I, I, I've seen it, but I don't watch it religiously, so I apologize. Look, okay, so a little plug. It's the ser this is the series finale season or the last season that's coming up, and so it's probably going to go to Netflix or whatever. It's a great binge because it's really hilarious. But the eldest son, Axel, when he goes off to college, his roommate, Kenny, like for the first two seasons, all you see is the back of him with headphones on, and he's playing a video <laughs> game the entire time. You never see his face. It's kind of like the, the neighbor on on uh, yeah, home improvement. Yeah, home improvement. Right, exactly. Yeah. 
so these things are really immersive in, in of themselves. And this is something that's happening. It's a, it's a social environment, but it's really not just social. It's social competitiveness, okay? It's not just about, oh, we're working together to solve a problem. Well, they're working together because they want to come out on top. I mean, and that's what we see in all these social competitive things. And going one step further, if we want to think about what does that look like in VR? Well, obviously, already we have PlayStation VR coming out with things like, uh, what is it? Uh, is it uh, Mass Exodus? Is that what it is? I don't know. It's it's something like that. But they, I do know that they have like Playroom VR and their social screen uh, that comes up. Yeah, it is Mass Exodus. I just looked it up. Okay. But you can bet that it's not going to be long before it gets to the masses more so than just like PlayStation VR, those six DOF devices or anything like that. We're going to see it in three DOF. So like on your cell phone and VR, we're going to see that in things like Game Center for Apple. Those things are going to happen and people are going to want to interact. And the whole goal is it's competitiveness. I want to do better than somebody else. And I'm going to recruit people on my team to make that happen. Now, of course, that is sort of the business side, the entertainment side. But then we have to kind of figure out how does that play out in education and one of the companies mm. that I love it's a small company that started a few years back but now they're gaining steam and I, I haven't met anybody now that hasn't heard of them and it's Classcraft they're taking advantage yeah. of this social competitiveness and while it's not necessarily VR immersive it is kind of another precursor into virtual environments leading to virtual reality I mean it's not far-fetched to think that maybe the Classcraft crew could not develop something for VR that takes advantage of their social competitiveness. So what does this really come down to? Is it possible that we have the Oasis now in a very primal form, or do we even have it as an advanced form? It's just not a lot of people know about. Well, okay, so, and I'm very, very familiar with Classcraft. Um, I've used it, and although I didn't continue using it, I guess one of the things, questions I have for both of you guys is this idea of competitiveness in schools. I mean, is that a good thing? I think it is. I think it's great that kids want to essentially, just for lack of a better term, one up their peers for a better grade, for their self-esteem, whatever. And you've got this, this leveling up of not only quality of work, but also even their, their self-esteem. But again, is it a good thing altogether? Because what happens when that one kid massively fails for whatever reason? Again, we've talked about outside it external forces and environment, whatever, but so yeah. altogether, can't, well, maybe yeah. that? It might be because we know that some kids are more resilient than others just inherently, mm -hmm. or they have more experience. So they're able to bounce back better, but you bring up a good mm -hmm. point. I don't know. I think it's a bigger fundamental question about education. The system we have set up yeah. is competition. You know, when you look at things like SAT, ACT, you look at percentiles, you look at those things that kind of colleges look towards, right? Well, yep. <laughs> but we're ingraining that in, into our students, whether we want to or not, because we're preparing them for what comes next. Even in the job market, I mean, it's very infrequent that you see people that really want to come together to promote something that's bigger than themselves. And usually you see it a lot in education, like <laughs> what we're doing now. I wouldn't say that we're, we're competitive with each other in an unhealthy way. I think that we all want to support each other, but in other areas of industry and business, it's not like that at all. It can be cutthroat, even in businesses that are big, like Apple and Google. I mean, they look like they want to share with the world and stuff like that. There's a bottom line and they want to hit it. Yeah. 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 I don't know, James. I, I think that's why perhaps um, games have not taken off in, you know, in, in K-12 and, 
you know, because of that, you know, there's a winner, there's a loser, somebody's kind of doing better than somebody else. Now, I understand we've got scores and things, but not always are those scores disclosed necessarily. A lot of students are getting their grades and nobody else knows what their grades are necessarily. But they're, but they're definitely the ones, there's definitely ones that are sharing it. If they get high enough, you're always going to have that one that said, look what I got. Yeah. And you know, I, I do see, you know, and I'm, I'm, I would say I'm a competitive person. You know, I love sports. I love playing different types of games like, you know, tennis or racquetball. And it is a motivator, right? It is a motivator and it can be fun in the right environment. Does it do a service? You know, is it a, is it a good thing that, you know, a student is, you know, made to feel that he's not good at math because he can't get high scores on a test or something like that? you know, I would say that that's not a great thing, you know, and that'll, you know, that might stick with that student for the rest of his life, the feeling of not being good at, at math when, you know, maybe he just had transferred in and just didn't have the same, same preparation, or maybe his home, you know, is, is, is a, it maybe has a tough situation at home. And, you know, we talked a lot about, about a lot about those types of things in a previous episode. You know, I think for VR in the classroom, you know, one thing that I've done at the college level, is bringing in sort of a, you know, maybe not a full immersive oasis, but, you know, simple, easy experiences where a student can experience somewhere else in the world, right? Like Google right. Expeditions. Oh, yeah, um, a good one. And now that works in the college environment because most students have their own cell phone or they can use it with a partner at lower levels of education. You might have some issues with that, but at least at college where we're just about every, you know, I'd say probably 98% of students that are you know, going to college and in the United States probably are coming with a some sort of a cell phone that can work in a Google Cardboard. It's a great opportunity to bring in a 360 immersive experience. And also it can also bring in, you know, YouTube 360. YouTube supports uh, 360 VR as well. So with a little yeah. bit of guidance from a teacher, you can introduce some some environments uh, and let, let a student sort of experience that again it's not a shared oasis type gaming environment but it's a simple small step that somebody might be able to take and so i mean that's a really good point alex i mean we you've sort of led us into the next question which is great if we're talking about things that are on the on the fringe class craft the oasis not here yet the oasis learning environment not here yet then so expeditions is something that's easy that we can bring into the classroom today I know that for us, we don't have mobile phones with our uh, lower school, so uh, you know, second grade through fifth, but we do have iPads. And so we mm -hmm. run the expeditions led by the teacher with the iPads. And it's essentially the same thing. It's not immersive, but we're still taking advantage of that great content yep. that, that's free, free. What are some other things out there that you guys have seen that are, again, low-hanging fruit, easy to get started, and, yep. and provide value? Yeah. You know, one that, you know, we, we all recently checked out that I think is poised really well for education. I haven't seen it being used, but I know they've got, uh, they've got some uh, educational partnerships out there is Rumi, R-U-M-I-I. And what I like about Rumi, and again, what you were talking about with equity is it is a, I would call it sort of a bridge solution, you know, where you can have people in Rumi in using VR, but you can also have people in there just using a, a regular computer, whether it's an Apple or, or a PC. And so it's an opportunity to bring in, um, you know, if you want to bring in a guest speaker, 
right. you, you could do it in a roomie if you want to bring in like say another class uh maybe um somewhere else in the united states or even in another part of the world if you can coordinate the time zones you could actually have two classes interacting you could have one person go to the front and do a presentation i think there's a real opportunity um with a, a bridge solution like that so roomie is definitely one to check out r-u-m-i-i that's a good one i like that yeah yeah did you say there was a cost? Is there a cost associated with that? Um, that's a good question. Uh, I'm not sure under their current model. I, I think I, we just got to, we were able to check it out, but I'm not sure what the cost might be. Uh, it's definitely worth checking out if uh, yeah. you're interested in something like that. I think I like it is that. free for, for up to three people. Can, can, oh, currently. okay. Yeah. Cool. Social VR is a big thing. I, I really do like that. I, I mean, I think that consumption obviously is still the largest saturation that we have right now, thanks to right. things like Expeditions. And there's other companies like Avantis that's doing it as well. They're kind of doing their own thing. But Apple they did They did just – what now? Oh, Appleseed, History View VR. Yeah, 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 absolutely. And Avantis actually just partnered with another company that I like, and that's, that's really – it's really a company that I love working with, and it's CoSpaces. While it's still working on the collaboration portion, something that I really like about CoSpaces is that students are creating virtual reality and they can, uh, they can create virtual reality together in, with collaboration. They're not necessarily creating in VR, but they are creating VR to create experience to share out. And it is, you know, it's essentially free. Teachers can sign up for one class with 30 seats and they can reuse those over and over again. And every summer they tend to run some type of special to get teachers, like, I guess, a, a stockpile of seats so they can use. And then they can, those students can use those co-spaces that they create in VR. They can experience it in VR. So I do like, I do like that. And we've used, you know, you don't even have to use the headsets. Steven, you said it before, like the iPads. Right. We've had down to kindergarten actually create and experience co-spaces in virtual reality on iPads. And it's not necessarily uh, the headset with virtual reality, but it is uh, virtual reality on the iPad itself. So yep, it's a really easy way to lead in to actually get them into VR and get yep. those benefits. The other one thing I just want to say about co-spaces, which I thought was great, was uh, the teacher can actually see in all the rooms as the students are, are developing in there. So it's yeah. really, uh, I think they've really thought through the workflow and it's a very classroom friendly and teacher friendly uh, solution. And again, James, just to echo it, it allows students to create their own VR environment that then other students can come explore. And I think that's, you know, if we can get students creating content and getting comfortable working with you know, 3D objects and building their own VR space, they can really own that learning experience. And also, co-spaces, they're just really responsive to teachers. I mean, they yeah. listen to teachers like crazy. They picked a, you know, a large group of people and they're like, hey, what do you want to see? What do you want to see? Eugene, who's the, the CEO, the founder of the company, he'll engage with you and he'll talk. And actually, he is actually coming into a session that I'm doing at ISI on CoSpaces because he wants to take part and actually be hands-on with the teachers, and it's a hands-on workshop. So that just shows you what kind of company that they are, and that's why I really do love them. I love them. I, I just want to get one thing in here, too, because I think like all of us, we, we recognize and we love CoSpaces. Let's not forget, too, that you can introduce block, Blockly-style co coding. 
You can introduce mm -hmm. uh, script coding as well. You can collaborate in spaces as well while that is taking place. But I think what I also like more is when the kids are so engaged with what they're producing because they can then share it in a technology in a way that they like virtually with with you know a cardboard sleeve they then take that that experience not just to their peers but they go home and they're like mom dad you know we have this cardboard sleeve or whatever get your phone look at my coasties and they're so proud of it and i love that it, it really extends the learning and the sharing beyond the, the school day absolutely very good. Well, let's go back to the beginning of the podcast. Earlier, I mentioned that uh, the three examples that Klein gives are pretty much possible today, right? But besides these, what experiences do you see bringing really exceptional value to the classroom? So keep in mind what Jeremy Balenson, you know, Stanford VR, what he says we should, we should reserve VR for. The impossible, the counterproductive, the rare or expensive, and the dangerous. Steve and I... You know, one of one of the first things that I started um, exploring in virtual reality, and you know, I think is, you know, is a good way to sort as a good entry point is the idea of facing your fears. Yeah. So I was recently just looking up what are the main fears uh, that people have in the world. You guys want to guess what some of the main fears are that people have? Is it zombies? Is oh, zombies up there? I don't. I think people kind of like. I think people like zombies. I don't know. I don't think people are really. Scared people love them. You know, they're, I, they're really embraced. They're but, adorable. Everybody wants one. They're so cute. One. No, no, they are not. I'm so terrified of zombies. That's Fear just... of zombies is not on the list. Oh, okay. Maybe no, because uh, they always exist. Guess any other ones? What What are the What What do you think are the top fears in the world? Yeah, well, you got fear of of dying. Fear Heights. Of dying. Heights is up there. Yeah, yep. Heights. Um, man, I don't know. What else? What else is there? What? Well, what is the top uh, fear? Yeah, what is so, it? So the top fear is it's basically social anxiety and specifically public speaking. So as as Jerry Seinfeld would say, you know, if you're at a funeral, nine out of ten people would rather be in the casket than giving the eulogy. <laughs> so public speaking and all those other fears, whether it's spiders or snakes or the fear of heights these are all things that you can create in what what in psychology is called exposure therapy mm. and uh, where you're exposed uh, you know periodically to a little bit more each time so the, the the analogy of conquering your fear of heights might be you know one day you go to the second floor of a building the next day you go to the third floor eventually you get all the way up to the 10th floor and then you go up to the window the next time, and eventually you've you've by exposing yourself to lesser um, grades of that fear and conquer it. There's a bunch of different public speaking applications, you know, and I think things like that can help. You know, now is that impossible, rare, expensive, or dangerous? Not really, but it allows you to practice your public speaking in a very realistic event, a real realistic event like a you know to an auditorium. So I think there's a lot of opportunity with conquering fears with VR. Yeah. Um, and I think, you know, students should, you know, they should be graduating with the ability to, to speak in front of a group. That should be sort of a core communication yeah. literacy. Absolutely. I, I think that what you've hit on is giving someone a safe environment to mentally prepare themselves with repetition, right? Yep. So that they can exactly. expose. And I, 
I also have a hard time trying to see where that fits into the thing Jeremy states, but maybe it fits under dangerous because dangerous may have varying levels. Um, I mean, we know life-threatening danger, but maybe dangerous as can be mentally dangerous, I don't know, or yeah. emotionally damaging. But I do think that regardless of whatever gaps that those are, I do think that those mental reps are beneficial. And yep. I mean, the health exactly. field, like what you said, I mean, that, that is mental, the mental health field. It's also beneficial in, in exercising things like open heart surgery, things like that. Uh, yep. Contract labor. Um, we see examples from HoloLens from people interacting with other people uh, on things like plumbing. It's really, it's really interesting. Architecture, we, that's already occurring. And pretty much anything else, you said it, public speaking, all these things can be done repeatedly in VR, and it can also be done at the end user's pace so that it's not something that they're having to go somewhere to do. They can do it at their own pace. And I kind of think about, and I don't want to geek out too much, but I think of it like the Star Trek, the next generation, it's the promise of the holodeck, right? That's what VR really is. It's that holodeck promise. And, and probably even more so there's one episode that just sticks out in my mind because it goes one step beyond VR and one step beyond the holodeck. And it was this episode called the inner light. And I know people that know Star Trek Next Generation know this episode, people that don't know about Star Trek or they hate it. They're thinking James is a massive geek. They may be right. But in this episode, Captain Picard literally has an entire lifetime that gets implanted in his head. He's knocked unconscious by this, by this, this power wave, and he experiences an entire lifetime where he's on this planet, he's with a family, he has to learn all these different skill sets, and one of those skill sets is playing the flute that he like learns his hobby. So at the beginning of the episode, he didn't know how to play it. By the end of the episode, he did know how to play it after he came out of it, and he's on the Enterprise again, and now he can play the flute. And I think it's kind of like, you know, the ready room inside of the Matrix. These are things that are, the, these things are powerful when we think about what our brains can do with mental reps. Yeah. And we don't have no. to worry about the physical fatigue. This is, you guys, so neurologically, this is, this is, I love that we're touching on this because neurologically, right, this is called priming and reps, mental reps of the mind. Yeah. And I think it's, um, it's a perfect example would be AI Solve and Children's Hospital Los Angeles. In their particular case, they do, I'm not going to throw out a percentage. Okay, I will. I think they do about 90% of their infant trauma training in VR. Why? Because yep. they can do it anywhere. They can review that, mo that training module, module at, at their pace from any angle as many times as they'd like the cost factor. So again, not flying somebody out, not taking up an operating room, et cetera. It's just, it, it's, it's otherworldly. The, uh, the, the things that you can do in VR. And, um, I mean, just take, for example, priming the mind of a child who's going to be undergoing major surgery. And so one of the examples is perhaps they are, would you know, be really stressed out with the equipment, the room that they're being led to, but if they can experience that prior to going, you know, into surgery, they're then more familiar with that environment or that uh, that table and all the equipment that's there, and they can deal with it much calmer. Yeah, I, Stephen, I just read about that today, and yeah. some of the examples there say like, what if a, an infant is having a seizure, or if an infant yeah. goes into like some sort of cardiac issue, 
you know, to allow some first year sort of surgeons or, or medical doctors in training to go through some of those scenarios before mm -hmm. they actually see it live is going to save lives. And, and I think VR is very well poised for that kind of, uh, that kind of training, especially in the medical field or, or you can practice a surgery with a, a real life scan of a body with a, you know, with an actual scan of the, a, an actual 3d version of that heart and go through a couple different, a couple different scenarios, uh, to see what might happen and before you actually have to do that surgery. So. Uh, I totally agree. I think it's it's going to be huge for, and it is is starting to be used for, for training in very high stakes and dangerous situations. Let's move on to some final thoughts here. Let's um, basically, like James said in the last episode, y'all are going to get about thirty seconds. And again, it's not quite rapid fire, but very limited response time. And today, I mean, let's think Moonshot VR. We briefly talked about this this past Wednesday during the hashtag ARVR in EDU Twitter chat. But if y'all can give me maybe one example of how you think VR could massively improve education, disregard budget, not your knowledge, space and time, disregard all that, where, where do you see this going? James, let's start with you. I think if I look at the moonshot, it's going to be that VR plays a very particular role at bridging time and space for our learners, and it will help us get rid of this idea of grades as far as second, third, fourth, fifth, or ninth, 10th, 11th, 12th, those things will kind of fade away. And we're gonna see a, a more interaction amongst all ages because they can interact as different avatars on, online or in something like the Oasis. So I think, that's, I think that's where I see it going, is that it could eliminate essentially traditional school as we know it. That's a very good point. So, you know, if I'm thinking about Moonshot VR, uh, you know, unlimited money, unlimited time to develop, and, you know, what, what could this potentially be in the future? What I'm thinking about is taking advantage of the, the fact that virtual reality, where you can experience empathy and emotional connection uh, in these collaborative environments. And I think we're ta if you can take some of the best teachers that are out there and you know, actually have them in an environment where you have an unlimited amount of potential students in that classroom, uh, it can really transform the learning experience from the one to many and really open up classroom learning experiences to as many people that are, are enabled to get in there. And I can also see in-class collaboration, you know, with small groups of students that might be from anywhere in the world collaborating with other other groups of students, especially if you have sort of um, micro expression capture in there and really forming bonds within a VR environment on working on a project. I, I can just see amazing potential with education. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I mean, for me, James, I apologize. I definitely acknowledge what you said about and relate to Star Trek. I'm a huge Trekkie. I'm definitely familiar with the episode. And I think one thing that I want to see in my lifetime actually unrelated to VR is teleportation. Now, because that may not likely happen, I want to be able to use VR to teleport to places in time, real time, et cetera. And I think that that is something that um, we can do with VR ultimately, uh, maybe through the use of 360 video and, and other types of technologies together. Well, thanks y'all for your insight tonight. 
And thanks to our listeners for joining us on this journey. If you liked our conversation today, don't forget to check out the other episodes. We also want you to join in on the conversation. So use the hashtag VR podcast to ask questions or comment on VR, immersion technology, or even about the virtual reality podcast itself. See you all next time. Want to hear more or connect with us? Subscribe to the podcast and find us on social media at The VR Podcast.